Namaskar. So just talking about the mentoring, uh, on a one of the forum, uh, number of you might be aware of it. If not, there is one forum called Bharat Rakshak Forum. Some of you might know this, BRF. Uh, of course, uh, you can have a handle there. It's not doesn't have to be your own name. Uh, there are few handles I have. <laughs> I won't tell you the others, but the one obvious one is Nilesh Oak, you know, so that with that. Uh, and one time I wrote just very recently, someone gave me another project to work on, you know, as a suggestion. And um, I said, you know, I have, I'm working on 30 plus different projects, so I can't take that on. And so that's fair, but this person came back again, a good friend of mine, he's based in Washington DC. And he said, if you have a 30 plus projects that you're working on, something is wrong with you. You, you need to delegate. And uh, which I'm doing, but also it has its challenges, you know. So th there is that babysitting at some point, you know, that you have to do and then let them go. Anyways, so uh, what I want to cover with you is uh, 17,000 plus years of Vedic civilization and a multidisciplinary evidence. <clears throat> now, why 17,000 plus? What I will show you through different disciplines of science, there is evidence objectively testable evidence that we can talk, we can share, we can discuss that goes up to 17,000 years. But beyond that, we do not have something to catch on right now, it is going to change. In fact, I assure you it is going to change very soon, okay. And I may allude to that when I talk about it. But my style is I would rather uh, let the evidence come first, objectively testable, and then go with the inference rather than uh, let the inference override the evidence. Okay, so I'm being so when I say 17,000, of course, uh, hope, hopefully, fortunately, no one falls off their chair here. 17,000, but that happens at times. You know, people fall off their chairs. You know, that that long, but actually, this is very conservative in some sense. Okay, but we'll also talk about the limits. So I have lots of slides to cover. And I'll tell you the context why I want to talk about this multidisciplinary evidence. Okay, but instead of giving you the preamble, I'll talk about it when the slide comes. Three big points that I want to make. The first one is the scientific method. Now, many people will just claim, you know, okay, well, I have done this scientifically, scientific way of dating something, scientific method. People throw these words, but what is a scientific method? Okay, and it's very important. And I'm going to share that in an educational spirit. In fact, when you go and read another book where someone makes a claim, whether they use the word scientific or not, or when, or myself, I mean, you can question me on this, but I'm going to show you a five point formula. It's not my formula. It always existed. Anyone claiming something, you can always ask them a question in terms of these five points. Everyone claiming something scientific should able to answer. The, those five points. If not, if they fail on even one, there is something missing. There is some problem. So we'll talk about this. The second one is, uh, which I said, the multidisciplinary and decisive evidence uh, for Rugved-based civilization. You can call it Indian civilization, Hindu civilization. I'm not stuck on names. Indic civilization, Indian civilization. Pick your word, okay? But 17,000 plus years of um, civilization. At least the evidence that we have. And the plus sign is there and I'll tell you some, uh, some additional exciting research that is happening. And then last one, how to overcome dogma, authorities, logical fallacies, 
faulty inferences, entrenched beliefs, and outdated theories. A huge list there, right? Although it looks huge, really, you know, they all can be combined into a dogma. Authorities, you know, so like in opinion of so and so, and many times we attach the titles, you know, whatever it is. You know what? Authorities, experts, they all have a place. We are not denying their place. But where is their place? If they can use the expertise of their field to make the material easy for every one of us to understand, then they are doing their job. But when they try to pull their authority, so say because I am in this position and I am saying it, science does not want to listen to it. Okay. So these are the three key points. So Purva Paksha, okay. now the word always existed, but in recent times Raju Malhotra you know, has made it more popular. So uh, yesterday I talked, gave a talk at the uh, Saraswati, Vedic Saraswati conference uh, in Kurukshetra. And next to Purva Paksha, I wrote something. I will tell you the title of my talk there. I said River Saraswati and Mahabharat and then said Space Time Odyssey. So that is what I talked about. So in Purva Paksha, I said, you know, what I am going to talk about the AIT group, the Indic group, and I also something called Yuga Dogma. I will talk about this and then I said that is a space-time tragedy. Okay. So what is this tragedy? Well, of course, we know about the AIT, AIT, you know. Even when we are either convinced based on objective evidence or based on subjective conviction, we still talk so much about AIT that this AIT will not go away. Just uh, last month, I gave a lecture on what falsifies AIT at the Swadesh Indology Conference number 3 in, in uh, IIT Chennai. So AIT stands for Aryan Invasion Theory, okay? and that talk, YouTube talk should come out very soon and I will encourage all of you at uh, Raju Malhotra uh, you know, portal or Swadesh Indology portal to listen to that. So the typical timing is what? 2000 BC, 1500 BC. And since Rahul mentioned it, I will quickly give you a definition of Aryan invasion theory. You can define Aryan invasion theory in terms of four aspects, okay, where, when, who and what, where, okay, I do not have a diagram but I will show you when the sign comes. According to this Aryan invasion theory, people who call themselves Aryan, that is who? those who call themselves Aryan came from somewhere outside India to inside India, just in putting it simple way, okay. Sometime after 2000 BCE but before 1500 BCE and the fourth claim of this invasion theorist is that they brought with them either Sanskrit language or precursor to Sanskrit language, okay. Those are the four things and what I showed in my uh, plenary address there is that you can show with evidence that all of them are decisively false, but I will not go into that here. The second dogma, what happened is this, once the AIT was falsified in the Indian context by many of the Indian researchers, they went into this second bucket, okay. So what you see here is a small pond and in the language of Vinoba Bhave, you know, sometimes what happens, we go from one pond to another, okay. So now here is a bigger pond, but pond nevertheless. So what, you, what timeline do you see? I am just giving you approximate from 800 BC to 6000 BC. And in this timeline, people try to sandwich Mahabharat 
of course the Buddha, sometime everything, Mahabharat, Ramayan, Rugved, everything. Okay, and why is that? Well, we won't go into the why, but I'll tell you what drives them. <clears throat> and then there is this favorite thing. In fact, you know, I can assure you at least one person, even in this uh, August audience here, will ask about yoga. You know, you cannot stop yourself from asking that question about the yoga. Please, but what about this yoga? Well, I call it yoga dogma. And what I mean by that, this is this kalpa and manvantar and many manvantars. Yes, we have this information in our literature. We are not doubting that, we are not denying it. But do you know what? There are more than 30 specific, independent, contradictory, conflicting definitions of yoga. So anytime someone wants to stand up and says, well, but your chronology does not match for Ramayana Mahabharata with these million years or whatever a thousand years of yoga, my question to you is, why did you pick that one specific definition out of 30? Okay, so you can just pick one, solve this whole problem of a yuga and then we can discuss it. Okay, so there is a information, there are multiple theories why there are these different definitions. Okay, I'm not going to go into it. Unless you force me and ask me a question, I'll definitely answer. But that's a yuga dogma. And what's common, so that's millions of years going back. What's common among these three? Now, big I mean, recognize that I'm very critical of this middle group and that's our group, guys. These are our folks. These are our folks, okay? I mean, they have right intentions, but there, there, is a, there is a challenge, there is a problem. And what is common among these all three? Because many of them, even when they moved from their AIT to INDIC, the number of methods, the type of methods they were using did not change. And what are some of the methods? Actually, many times, it is a stray evidence. Yes, they use the evidence, but it is a stray evidence, some random evidence, some subjective evidence, some arbitrary evidence. In fact, if you go to Aryan invasion theory, do they use the evidence? Yeah, they start with the evidence. Okay, they start with the similarity of European languages with Sanskrit. Okay, apparent or real, it is there. So yeah, they start, they start from a genuine point, but then they go downhill right away. So, while this is happening, there is agreements and disagreements. People talk in terms of, oh, I don't agree with you. I have a deep disagreement. Now, what is the problem with this? Agreements, disagreements are very easy thing, guys, you know, very easy. We can agree, you know, anything controversial, what does it take? One person has to disagree and things become controversial. What we need to focus on is the evidence, which is the framework I'm going to show next. There is a nice quote by Voltaire. It's worth remembering. It says, Cherish those who seek the truth, but beware of those who find it. Okay, and that goes to the word that Mahatma Gandhi made very famous, Satyagraha, insistent on the truth. In fact, that is not the best word. Now, because it's very popular, Mahatma Gandhi made it very popular, so we use it. The best word would be Satya Shodhan. And why is that? Insistent on the truth, I mean, sounds good. But to insist on the truth, we should know what is the truth. Okay, in many cases what happens, whatever I am sage is saying is the truth. Satya Shodhan, it happens, how does Satya comes to you, the truth comes to you? It comes in a spurts, Aumsha Aumsha se ajata hai. And it comes in an iterative fashion, in science it comes in an iterative fashion. Think of the whole cosmology story from Ptolemy to Copernicus to Tycho Brahe to Kepler to Galileo to Newton to Lagrange to Einstein. These are in an iterative fashion, it does not come to us. And do you think Einstein is the last word? Of course not. 
if it was then everything could have been explained and of course it is not explained quickly take a minute and read this now some of you may think i'm very uh, it's not my cartoon by the way i just folded it from somewhere some of you may think i'm harsh on a social science actually i'm not in fact what i'm discussing here is a social science history uh, chronology okay mahabharat ramayan rigveda that's all comes, comes under humanities and social science and culture so i'm not what i'm talking is again this is a generalization but what you see here is that's when people try to change the reality you know push themselves not allow themselves to get out of it all right this is what i want you to remember when i'm done maybe i'll bring this slide back and anytime you ask the question i'm going to ask you out of those five points which particular point your question belongs at the beginning at the top we start with a theory how do we come up, come come to a theory it starts with a problem okay any time we are acting you know what we may not be aware but there is a theory in the back of our mind with everything so we start with a problem then we try to solve that problem we guess a solution and then what you see at the bottom is basically uh, explanation prediction testing in the context of the background knowledge or as patanjal says pratyaksha anumana agama pramanani okay uh, so that's that's the framework i'll come back to now real science that i just said says patanjal says pratyaksha anumana agama pramanani meaning explanation prediction testing in the context of a background knowledge established knowledge and what he says next is actually very important that makes a difference between real science and non real science you know instead of calling social science anyone anyone knows i'm i'm sure uh, uh, vinod ji just arrived and he can say the what the next one is the next one he says viparyayo mithyadnyanam atadrupa pratishtham anything contrary to this the first line anything contrary to this is established as a mithyadnyanam false knowledge okay not a right way to do it or sage gotam says something with slight modification or karl popper the best philosopher of science one of the best if not the best uh, talks about essentially what patanjali is saying explanation prediction testing in the context of a theory and in the context of background knowledge or many of you i'm sure you know this name richard feynman the physicist right and he talks about to solve a problem you take a guess you compute consequences you compare with evidence okay we are going to start with astronomy evidence of the apex now many people many of the other indic researchers not all but many they complain they say you know i mean at least complain about me in some sense sometimes they don't take my name but they say you know this is so much insistent on astronomy so much insistent on insistent on astronomy this is not the primary evidence or so on so forth i don't understand those arguments but i'll tell you this we shouldn't just stick to astronomy that's fair but in fact if we are looking for a specific date okay only discipline of science capable of estimating exact dates is astronomy and it's not by fluke this is not true for many other cultures we are just lucky it is true for only indic culture and the reason is because we happen to use a lunisolar calendar okay if we wouldn't have used lunisolar calendar you know i i had to continue my job you know i didn't have a chance to write the books it's really that true okay lunisolar calendar is a beauty it may be coincidental it may be uh, deliberate whatever it is 
that is the only reason astronomy becomes such a strong evidence and allows us to predict exact dates wrong or right but allows to predict and then we can test okay astronomy poison fails and i also talk about the inferential acumen uh, last time i gave a talk at srijan foundation here i used this first example i'm not going to take a long time but just to give you an idea what it means by astronomy poison pill or decisive evidence we may still argue within the range like uh, professor tiwari shashi tiwari mentioned upper limit and lower limit we may argue about a specific date within the limits but as far as the limits are concerned we can be so confident that nothing can happen outside those limits so quickly to give you an example i gave this lokmanitra savarkar gandhi and if there is a claim okay the claim says lokmanya tilak savarkar and gandhi met in pune in 1923 to discuss the state of british rule in india true or false what is your answer false many of you are saying false and why is that okay tilak was no more in 1920 okay so you are good student those of you who are attending this for the second time you know because we did this now you know it 1920 he he passed away right so that was 1920 now that's the kind of decisive evidence tilak was not there after 1920 so we can talk for hours about the philosophical differences and what not but the fact he was gone in 1920 provides us with a decisive evidence that's the kind of thing i'm talking when i talk of astronomy poison pills okay all right the second example so like this gives you so for example you look at lokmanya tilak's lifespan and that gives you the limits on what is possible right if there was indeed a meeting it has to happen here if you look at swatantrivir savarkar that gives you another limit but now we are looking for overlapping areas okay and then mahatma gandhi and something like this so if anything has to happen it has to happen in between we can argue where it happened in between but definitely outside those limits it did not happen we feel confident let's take this another quick example of vernier caliper when we did mahabharat manthan and uh, Uh, my colleague uh, aparna was there to present it this is the example so for example if you want to see if this cricket ball matches the specification of indian cricket board what you need to do is first place that ball appropriately between these two prongs and take the approximate reading on this main scale okay once you do that then you tighten the screw and you take the very precise and accurate reading on the secondary scale but the point i want to make is if you are not careful in placing this red ball properly between those prongs it doesn't matter how accurate you take the reading on the secondary scale it's going to be precise and it's going to be wrong so what it means is first you must get things approximately right and then only you can do it precisely accurate all right so uh last time i showed it so the first part the five point formula the first is a theory so what is my theory in fact i'm going to tell you the astronomy theory but also i'm going to share lot of evidence from other fields so i'm going to tell you the theory for other fields as well any time we talk about a theory it has to be a simple generic universal statement so the universal statement for my astronomy theory is this all astronomy observations of the epics are visual factual actual observations of the sky of those times this is for astronomy 
what would be my theory for say geology, geological evidence, climatological evidence, oceanography evidence, all kinds of things. My theory would say the geological events tend to keep their signatures in geological records. Watch my language, tend to keep, we cannot guarantee that they will do it, but they tend to keep, that is a very generic statement. And if there is another discipline that I discuss, I will give you the generic statement of that theory. And then depending on what it is, we have this in this case astronomy, so we have precision of equinoxes, proper motions, the formulas of modern astronomy, that is our background knowledge and against that we test it. And when we did this Arundhati Vasishta observation, now very famous okay, or infamous and what do we find? Using uh, we test it objectively, I am not going to go through it, but I will encourage you to uh, go back, check your YouTube uh, Srijan Foundation video from last year okay, and, and watch that. So again we get these limits, upper limits and lower limits. What it tells us is based on this one piece of evidence, Mahabharata did not happen before 11,000 BC, did not happen after 4500 BC. Okay. We are going to go quickly, I am going to summarize on one slide, astronomy evidence from the epics, all evidence included, tested objectively, inferred logically. So in case of Mahabharata, more than 200 specific observations, I objectively tested them, sometime individually, sometime in groups if appropriate and arrived at 5561 BCE as the year of Mahabharata war. In case of Ramayan, more than 500 specific observations, again objectively tested them to arrive at 12,209 BCE as the year of Mahabharata war. All I want to remember is kind of like a 6th millennium BCE or 5500 BCE for uh, Mahabharata and 12,000 BCE for Ramayan. Okay? These two books, they are already there. Okay, so astronomy. Now this is going back to the Aryan invasion theory. If we draw a horizontal axis of time, okay, starting with our time there and going back to antiquity, the definition of Aryan invasion theory that I gave you, okay, the timeline is here. So this is outside India, wherever that is. This is inside India or greater India and that inside India is from what? Afghanistan to Sri Lanka. We cannot just say today's India. Okay. Uh, and against this, the timeline that is uh, projected by the Aryan invasion is here, 2000 BC to 1500 BC. And according to them, the Sanskrit or precursor to Sanskrit came somewhere here and afterwards. Against this, I am going to plot these claims for the Mahabharata and these claims for Ramayana. I always call them claims, claims for the chronology and to me they will always remain claim. I feel very convinced about them, but nevertheless the claim. Einstein said all the great theories are only one data point away from falsification. Okay? And any day this gets falsified, I would be the happiest person, I assure you. Okay? I will be celebrating. Okay? That means because we have made a progress. Okay? But until then, my claim is that these are the best claim among all available claims for both Ramayana and Mahabharata. Okay? All right. So that's Sanskrit language based culture in 6th and 13th millennium BC. We should ask what is AIT? Don't bother. Okay. Okay. Multidisciplinary evidence extravaganza. Why is that? Because once I did this, and it's a very subtle point, I want you to understand this. So now people start asking me, other researchers start asking me, okay, but where is the multidisciplinary evidence? 
and you know what what they may not realize and many times the audience may not realize is this the very fact they are asking for a multidisciplinary evidence in support of my claim whether they realize it or not they are accepting my claim the point is lost on them okay but it's they are accepting my claim because if they are not accepting my claim they shouldn't go and ask me demand multidisciplinary evidence so but what i thought is actually multidisciplinary evidence exist how much we can discuss is only limited by time i'm going to show you a list so here is this list okay and the only reason i stopped is because i said i'll list it on one page and no more and you know what happened here i'm almost running out of a page so i listed whatever i could think of okay see so you have to stand up in the back there okay i'll read it for you so actually i will not go through all of it but you can trust me that this exist and we can share but i'll try to go at least uh, say up to 10 you know and and then in question answers we can go into the next i might discuss little bit genetics okay so that's our agenda that's the menu we are going to go through that okay take a deep breath exhale and get ready the so we talked we looked at uh, astronomy evidence now let us look at the chronology evidence of the mahabharat text actually very simple you know astronomy people think oh it's beyond me i don't understand precession of equinoxes how can i trust the equations here if you read mahabharat and actually my i'll show you my third book that is coming it just list every single verse that that just supports this particular narrative the pure chronology evidence of the mahabharat chronology meaning simply descriptions this happened on this day and then after 10 days so and so happened and so on it takes us again to 6 millennium bc the date i arrived otherwise from based on arundhati uh, vasishta and many other planetary observations so again the beauty of scientific discovery or method is this in case of arundhati i started at the top like i started at this corner point at the peak that is the explanation we don't know why arundhati is walking ahead of vasishta then i spent 15 years and figured out why it is walking in this case once we made that claim 5561 bc so that was easy now that i claim 5561 bc as the year of mahabharat war and there is a specific day 16 october 5561 bc how do i decide the day of bhishma nirvan when did bhishma passed away you know the specific day right the day uttarayan the day of winter solstice so in that year if i start from the 16 october is the first day of war bishma fell in the battle on the 10th day that is 25th of october and from there i continue to just go in my calendar until i find the day of winter solstice or day after winter solstice that is the claim claimed day for bishma nirvan that happens to be 31st january 5560 bc again it's a calendar julian calendar going backwards okay so don't get stuck on 21st august what is that december or 14 january anything like this so this is a claim and now we can you know what from there we can go backwards and ask the question is there a way is there a way to figure this out that and is there a sufficient evidence in the mahabharat text that can justify this 31st january this is uh, just came back from kurukshetra this is the place where bishma uh, passed away okay banaganga and this is the cover of my upcoming book bishma nirvan okay 
simple three chronology assertions. The first assertion, now everyone can understand this, you know there is no complexity, there is no astronomy at least not here. Bhishma was on the bed of arrows for more than 92 days leading to the day of Bhishma Nirvan which is the day of winter solstice, simple like more than 92 days that is the claim of Mahabharata text. Now yesterday I repeated this and I said you know what majority of the Mahabharata researchers, in fact almost all 99.99% instead of 92 they claim 58 days okay and what I am saying I am going to repeat that which is anyone who thinks it is 58 days okay there is one reference and that is what they took but anyone who thinks 58 days what is very clear does not matter who that person is, what is his name, her or her name, what is their titles, they have not bothered to read Mahabharata text because there are more than 60 plus references that will all lead you to 92 days. Okay. The second one, uh, the earliest tithi that Bhishma fell in the battle can be Margashirsha Shukla 9. I will not go into the details why that is so, you will see that in the book. The third one is major portion of the 18 days of the Mahabharata war took place during the Margashirsha Shukla Paksha. Okay, so started with Amavasya and now it is getting bigger and bigger. Now why is that important? Because there are some researchers who do not think it started on the Amavasya. But the Mahabharata evidence is so strict, so constrained that you cannot select anything else. Okay? There are more than 30 specific observations that lead you to that. Now look like very simple thing like the Newton's laws, three Newton's laws kind of thing, three inferences. The first one says that majority of the 18 day of the Mahabharata war took place during the first half of Sharat season. I will quickly tell you how we reached that conclusion from assertion 1. Okay? Just, to, just to walk you guys with me, it is not nothing complex if you put your mind to it. The day of Bhishma Nirvan is the day of winter solstice that is the end of Heman season, would you agree? Six seasons, every each season of two months. So from that day of winter solstice, if you go backwards by 60 days approximately, the Heman season is over, I am going backwards. Then if you go back by additional 30 days, the second month of Sharath season is over, are you with me? Okay. And then we are left with the two days Okay. and remember Bhishma fell on the 10th day, so 10 plus 2, that is how I am saying. Uh, at least 66 percent, 12 out of 18 days of the Mahabharata war took place during the first half of Sharat season. Okay? Just, just stay with me. The next one is if I combine assertion 1 and 2, it leads to the uh, evidence that the day of Bhishma Nirvan cannot be in terms of lunar tithi, cannot be before Falgun Shukla 12 or Falgun Shukla Dwadashi. How did I come to this conclusion? It has to start with Margarshisha Shukla 9 as the earliest day plus 92 days worth of tithis, okay? so slightly 1 plus, plus 1 or so. So it will go to Margashir Shukla 12. Now do not get uh, too strict in a sense of well is it potentially possible Margashir Shukla Ekadashi, yeah sure why not, you know it does not change anything. Uh, then combining assertions 1 and 3, it leads to the inference that lunar month of Margashir occurred during the first part of Sharath season at the time of Mahabharata war because remember. Uh, we have evidence to say that it happened during Margashisha Shukula Paksha and I am combining that. Okay? Now I am going to ask you to take a leap of faith like a Indiana Jones movie, you know trust me that whatever I am going to say is true but it can be astronomically tested. Okay? If you combine assertion 1 and 2, I call it epoch of Bhishma Nirvan, 
and these are actually very flexible dates. In reality, the dates that come out as constraints, upper limit and lower limit, is actually 7000 BC to 4700 BC. Okay, but there is some error that you can actually add. You know, I'm not going to discuss it here. It's in my book. So I gave like 15 days, 15 days plus minus 15 days. That's 15 times 72. If you can, some of you astronomers can relate to that. That's 1,000 years. So I added plus minus 1,000 years. So 8,000 BC to 3700 BC. But these are very very strict. I mean, now someone starts negotiating with me and say, okay, how about 36 whatever 3699. Three, we see and I am going to say no. You understand what I am saying? The 3700 is very generous. You know? uh, now if you take the second one, that is the beautiful guys. When I started researching this, I did not know that. This is, there is no predetermined agenda when I do research. So the second one, the, when you combine assertion 1 and assertion 3, the timing of Mahabharata war, actually it leads to a very tighter interval. What it is saying is Mahabharata war could not, would not, should not have happened anytime before 7285 BC and anytime after 5125 BC. Somebody says, how about 5124 BC? Answer is no. I mean, the calculations are that strict. Okay? And then I am just repeating additional 200 plus additional observation that led me to that 5561 BC as the year of Mahabharata war. Okay? This is in some sense the summary, you know, of uh, what I have covered. Now let us take that 5561 BC, this is the Bhishma Nirvan, 31st of January. Now let us look at reverse Saraswati evidence from Mahabharata and Ramayana. So we are going away from astronomy now, just purely Saraswati geology evidence. What you see in the picture at the top, this is the current path of river Satlaj, Shutudri. Okay. On the other side, this is side. This is the current path of river Yamuna. And what do you see in the middle? Very broad, that grey area. That's a wide paleo channel of Saraswati. Okay, right from there. And then what you see here is this is where uh, Shutudri used to come straight down. This is a huge paleo channel. It's not shown how wide it is. I'll show you in other pictures. Huge paleo channel of Shutudri. That's how it was coming down. So this is not an arbitrary line that has been drawn. Okay? Same thing with the Yamuna, multiple places, different uh, streams. But huge uh, paleo channel of river Saraswati. Now against this, if you look at Mahabharata evidence of Saraswati, there are more than 100 specific references to Saraswati in the Mahabharata. And what it paints is a mixed picture. In many places, it is flowing beautifully with lots of water. In other places, it has gone under the sand. And now, as I was uh, traveling from Kurukshetra, there was a geology professor traveling with me. And you know, we had a discussion of antardhiyate, uh, which means sometimes it is translated as disappeared. Other times, it means like went under the sand. And you know, there was a discussion of that kind. Other places, it has gone under the sand. Some places, it is described flowing below the sand. Okay and some other places it is emerging from the sand. So it is a very mixed state for Mahabharata. If you go to Ramayan, you get this, uh, descriptions of river Yamuna already meeting river uh, Ganga. So Ganga, uh, Yamuna is already separated from Saraswati in that sense. And you also find an interesting reference to 
uh, river Shutudri. Okay, and someone in the audience corrected me, but uh, the reason was different. So I will I will give you the improved version. You know there. So what you are seeing here at the top is a description of river Shatadru or uh, or Satlaj, which is a river with a wide failure channel, and the last word says flowing in the west direction. And I said uh, it turned in the west direction. I will still say that, but the reasoning behind that is there is a sufficient evidence going in antiquity that it was coming down straight to south and meeting Saraswati. So in that sense, I said turn. Uh, and so river Shutadri is described as flowing west, okay, as opposed to flowing south. Now why is that important? If by the time of Ramayana, and assuming my claim is correct for 12,000 BC, if Yamuna is gone away from Saraswati and if Shutadri is gone away from Saraswati, so now the question is what is feeding the waters to Saraswati? So if we go backwards, again this is my conjecture, so think of the time or descriptions of Rugved, the grand river, you know, starting with high mountains coming, going all the way to the sea, Naditame, Ambitame, Devitame, Saraswati, the grandest of the grand river. We have to, this is my conjecture, we have to go back in further antiquity, beyond 12,000 BC, okay, to uh, look at uh, the grand Saraswati of uh, Rugveda. Now, the question is, does science, meaning other disciplines of science, corroborate this kind of evidence? The answer is decisively yes. Now, lots of evidence from hydrology. Now, these are different words, guys, but you know what? Many times they refer to the same thing. Like hydrology, you might hear morphodynamics, geology, okay? They, they are referring to the same things, you know, and you can have many sub-sub areas within geology. It's all geology, okay? So, again, my generic uh, statement for the theory here is, geological events tend to keep their signatures into geological records, okay? That's the theory. So here what I'm doing is this now, based on what I just showed you, the textual evidence, I am making certain conjectures. For example, was Saraswati in a state of flux during 5561 BCE? My question is, that's what Mahabharata says, but do we have a independent evidence from say geology to support that? Okay. The next one is Satlaj had turned west before 12,200 BCE based on Ramayana because I am saying Ramayana in 12,200 and Ramayana says Satlaj is flowing westward. Okay, So that is the claim. So do we have any evidence that Satlaj had turned west before 12,200 BCE? Okay? Do we have any evidence? And again third one, the Grand Saraswati of Rugved, do we have a evidence that it possibly appears to be before 12,200 BCE? Are you following? what we are doing, okay. All right, so let us look at some Saraswati evidence. This is paper of Peter Clift from Aberdeen. Now he is actually in US and I am going to meet with him. Uh, 2012 paper, wonderful paper. Now what they did is this, so this is where river Saraswati is beginning here in the mountains and then going all the way to the sea. The area that they did the drill course like you know you go down and take the samples 40 50 meters or whatever depth you want to go and then you analyze those sections and i'll show you just a illustration of that the area that is uh, that is covered there is now in pakistan okay so the downstream to river saraswati and what they found see this is how the core samples will look like okay uh, and you can analyze that i'm not going to get into details and make you experts in geology 
But essentially, quickly, what this area, what this analysis, area, analysis of the core is telling us is that Yamuna was Yamuna possibly had separated from River Saraswati as far back as 50,000 BC. Now, how do they do that? Quickly, uh, again, we are lucky here, you know, which is that each of those rivers seems to have their signature based on the type of crystals they bring, you know, going back millions of years and where they originate and so on. I won't go into the details. So, trust that, but this paper is worth reading, you know, and don't feel like you don't understand geology. You know, if I can understand something, guys, any one of you can understand it, okay. There is another evidence there, but I will skip that. Now, this is not just Peter Clift. This is Peter Clift 2012, but going as far back as, now did I said Frankfurt 2010. Well, actually Frankfurt paper, that is the error. It is going back to 85, 86 possibly, and then Mary Corti, and there are many others. And they have done the studies and the conclusion is consistent. Now, what is good, think of this as a double blind experiment. These folks have nothing to do with Mahabharata, nothing to do with Ramayana. They are not trying to prove anything. They are not trying to disprove anything. They are doing this purely from the geology, hydrology perspective. So their evidence, not because they are from the West, their evidence has an additional value because they are blind to this whole history, the Indian history. Okay? So Yamuna has separated. Now the second one, uh, Singh, this is from uh, IIT Kanpur and many universities from United Kingdom. This is hot from the press in the nature, November 2017, like less than three months old. Now what they did is they did these sections, this is wonderful paper guys. In fact, um, I'll, I'll come to the controversy or how some people, our researchers, but also newspapers spin the story. Okay, this has been spin a lot. So what they did, they did the core sections into the upstream part of uh, the paleo channel of river Saraswati. And what I'm going to tell you is, this one paper, the evidence that is presented in this one paper is sufficient to corroborate my chronology for Mahabharata, my chronology for Ramayana, my chronology for Rugved. Okay, But actually more than 10 or 15 people sent this paper to me, well thanks to them, I already had a copy, Okay, stating that now how are you going to explain this? The reason I am bringing this up is because the lack of inferential acumen. Okay, you will just go by the headline. The headline said counterintuitive uh, evidence for the river based civilization in India or something like this. Okay, there is nothing, nothing counterintuitive about it if people read our text, our ancient narratives. So, what they found here, very interesting. I do not know if people in the back can see this, but uh, you know, so this is the this is the paleo channel of river Saraswati. This is very interesting, the split that uh, the Vinod family is interested, you know. So this is the place that, you know, it goes once goes straight down and another one goes uh, west to Pakistan. And they, t they took the course at many places. One is here at Kalibanga, but then going further north and especially here, which is the paleo channel of Satluj that brought the water in the past to Saraswati. This is Kalibanga. The uh, Paleo channel is as wide as like 10, 11 kilometers. And what they did is they took the cross, se cross sections across. Okay, they did five. Okay, now you can do 10 and that's great. You know, more the, more the, more the merrier, you know, better resolution. So this is across, by the way, eight kilometers. Huh? That's, that's the length. Uh, and the yellow line that you see is the current uh, Gaggar Hakra River. 
Now what is that telling us? It is telling us some phenomenal stuff. Okay, this is these are the cores okay, going down to like 40 meters approximately. So this is one th that one is a one end of that paleo channel, this is the another end okay, and then in between and the Gagar Hakra river kind of flows here. Okay, they did not do any core into the river itself, the current small river. Quickly and I should have highlighted this further, you know, so here it goes also here. What this is telling you, these are the uh, years 23.7 K, etc. What it is telling you, the quick conclusion is that the Grand River, where the water was flowing through this entire wide paleo channel, it stopped flowing by 20,000 BCE. Okay, so quick subjective bit relative conclusion is if you are looking at the Grand River, this is not a firm conclusion, but the Grand Saraswati of Rugveda possibly that describe beyond 20,000 BCE. Okay? Now there is sufficient evidence, I am not going to talk about it today. But there is a second conclusion, the Yuga, Yuga folks you know, who want to talk about millions of years. If you go down further and continue to look where actually the water stops, we have a paleo channel but at some point it stops, there is no more evidence for water ever flowing there. Okay? And at this, this height you can go see and consistent that there was no water anywhere. That is that comes to around 150,000 years like 1.5 lakhs which means if you go back to that far then there was no water here. There was no Grand Saraswati here. Now some of you might claim maybe there was a, another path, another paleo channel. I am not denying that but that means somebody needs to do the research. Somebody needs to identify that paleo channel you know by different things. But as far as this evidence is concerned there was no paleo channel or Grand Saraswati uh, more than one, 150,000 years. It is very important for the, the extreme yuga scales that we hear. So now this is a wonderful map against this uh, and Vinodji like so what I uh, was referring yesterday when I said turned west. So this is Satlaj coming here and this is a place Roper or Rupanagar and that is where uh, I mean Kalyan Ramanji asked me to go there and actually observe, I have not done that. Uh, anyone been to Roper where it changes and uh, so like the people say the, the landscape is very obvious how it has shifted or changed you know I am not been there. Uh, but you know it has taken a sharp uh, left turn here and that is when I was referring. So here you know if you go here you can actually find out how wide the paleo channel is depend on satellite maps and so on. And what they did, they did a core here at location SRH5 they designate and I do not have a picture here that you can go to the paper. The beautiful evidence that they talk about here is that Satlaj inflow at this place coming down stopped before 13,000 BCE. Now if you are paying attention to my Ramayana chronology, you should have an aha moment here. Ramayana is saying Satlaj was flowing west and the, chrono the independent Geology evidence from 2017 is telling us that, sorry, is telling us that Satlaj stopped feeding waters down to Saraswati coming down in 13,000 BCE. So if those dates are correct, 800 years before Ramayan, okay. And actually if you look at the errors, they are very, very small, like we are talking plus minus 500 years, the errors on those estimates. Alright, so quickly 13,000 years before that, Satlaj turned this way. Um, Yamuna turned more than 50,000 years somewhere there or after that. The question now is 
So, in 6th millennium BC, where is this water? Because Mahabharata describes Saraswati flowing with copious amount of water in many places. Where is that water coming from? We jump to another discipline of science, okay, climatology. You see how I am saying? So, like you, you, you solve one problem, usually that should lead to additional problems. That is what happens, you know. So, now we are happy that the river is going in different direction. Now, we say, oh, please bring that back, you know, okay. What you have evidence here from three different studies, okay, just combined together. This is a paper by, can someone help me, by Sarkar and others, you know. Uh, this is 2016 paper. This is evidence from the Arabian Sea, the, in the center, the evidence from the lakes, okay, in the northwest region. And then this is a lot of other evidence including Harappa and that area. Uh, see if you can see from the distance, but this bracket here, 7000 uh, BC through like 4500 BC, there was a intensification of monsoon in this area. And then it started going down again after 4500 BC, okay. Now this does not prove that Mahabharata war happened there. All it says, if you have an independent claim from another discipline of science such as say astronomy, okay, and now you have also description, the textual descriptions of river Saraswati flowing with lots of water. This gives you a corroborative evidence, a supportive evidence that yes, we have a good reason to believe why the water could be there in sufficient quantities. Even if Satlaj was not feeding water, Yamuna was not feeding water. Now, what I want to show you is, this is just a quick summary of what I showed you, okay. Enough data to support the chronology claims of 6 millennium BC, 13 millennium BC and timing beyond that. River Saraswati from Rugved, what does it has to say? Now before I get into the river Saraswati evidence, we have to understand the internal structure of Rugved. Now there are uh, many folks here who would definitely know about uh, the claims for the internal structure. I am going to pull the data, uh, I am convinced about that data. I have tested in at least seven different ways. Uh, the relative chronology presented by Srikant Talagiri, those of you who know the name, you know. He has written three books, all are great, but definitely read the book number two, the Rugveda, the analysis, okay. So what he has showed, so I am just, instead of going into the details, I will say he has claimed and I am convinced, of course, I am willing to be wrong and you know, he has to be willing to be wrong. The oldest mandalas are 637, then 42. So there are 10 mandal in Rugved, but they are not like 1, 2, 3 and that is the oldest. After that 4, 2, then 5, 8, 9 and then after a long gap, we have the 10th mandal. And there is a deliberate reason why I have aligned them like this and I will show you in a minute. But this is correct, whether they, the 10th mandal matches Mahabharata and 5, 8, 9 matches Ramayana, that is a different story, but directionally they are correct as a relative chronology. And the suktas of first mandalas are all over, okay, they go from old to new. Now let us get to the river Saraswati evidence from Rugved. All the grand descriptions of river Saraswati, okay, Giribhya Samudra, Ambitame, Naditame or the river flowing with a great speed, you know, and all those descriptions, uh, taking mountains and you described it with, you know, the mountain or whatever, the icebergs look like lotuses and whatnot, that all come into 63742, okay. And by the time you come to the last mandal, uh, the, uh, the the Nadi Sukta 10.75, there again all those 19 plus whatever rivers are listed. And if you read the descriptions, you will find that the emphasis is on river Sindhu, 
that appears to be grand. River Saraswati exists, but it's no longer appears to be grand. It's just one of the river. Okay. So that's therefore I put this as a relative chronology. Okay, these are I'll just quickly go and highlight those. Like here, you know, so Giribya Samudra or Naditame, Ambitame, Devitame, Saraswati. This is from Rugved. And this is the Nadi Sukta, where you have the list of um, all the rivers. And if you go further, verses one, two, or three, you will see, you know, the emphasis on a river Sindhu. Okay, so let's look at the genealogy evidence. And we need this to take this relative chronology to bit of absolute chronology. So I'm looking here at genealogies of kings and sages. Now I know as soon as I say genealogies, you are going to think of Purana and a list of 26 kings and 36 kings. We don't have that in Rugved, but we are going to do with whatever we have. Okay. So for example, just uh, same picture, but instead of river Saraswati evidence, we are going to look at the composers. Okay, into listed in Anukramani, for example. So if you look at the oldest mandala, 637, predominantly the composers that are assigned to those are Vasishtas and Vishwamitras, right? Uh, and then Ram somewhere in between. And then by the time you go to the 10th mandal, you have the 10.98, you have a mention of Shantanu and Devapi. Now those of you who are aware, great, if not Shantanu and Devapi are brothers, okay? I mean, you see this description. And who is Shantanu? Father of Bhishma, okay? And so some of you, if you wonder how did those names went into Rugved. Uh, so Shantanu and Devapi are there and if anyone wonders how did they enter into uh, Rugveda, if you go to Mahabharat, uh, we have a reference there, you know how, so Vedavyas does describe, he expanded the Vedas, so not unusual. In fact, uh, 10.9, I forgot, 9.3 or so, it also mentions Prithu, it also mentions Vena, it also mentions Rama. Okay, these are all three great kings of Ikshvaku dynasty. In fact, think of it how much knowledge is lost. I mean, just to our common folks, including myself. I mean, we know a reasonable amount of information about Ram, but Prithu and Vena, I mean, we don't know much. I mean, some of you might be hearing first time, other times you might have just heard the names, but we don't know much. Okay, but obviously they must be, you know, great kings to be mentioned. Okay, so this kind, now what this does, uh, the relative chronology fine, but the genealogy gives you additional evidence to say that the absolute chronology also makes sense. The sixth millennium, the Mahabharata times, the tenth mandal, and so on. Okay. These are the names Prithu, Vena there, and uh, and this is from uh, Mahabharata. Okay. So Vasa edited, recasted, whatever is the appropriate word, but did something, you know, and uh, that's why he was he's called Vasa and so on. And then he taught to his disciples. Okay, so quick summary, the Mahabharata there, Ramayana there, and so people ask me what is my chronology for Rugved? I am saying I don't know how far back in the past we have to go, I don't have an answer. Okay, if any one of you do, I am very happy to hear that. But as far as the last portion or the last recasting, re-editing, whatever you want to call it, um, I like to claim that it happened around the Mahabharata time, that's 6 millennium BC. Alright, oceanography evidence. Again, start with the 5561 BCE as the claim for the Mahabharata war. Now, let's add to it 36 years and we get 5525 BCE. Now, what is that? That is the year for the flooding and destruction of Dwarka because 5561 is the claim based on astronomy. 
Mahabharat textual evidence says Dwarka was flooded and destroyed 36 years after the war. So that gives us 5525 BCE. And many people have asked me, so do you have any evidence for that? And what happens here is many people will find, go to the west coast, Gujarat, and find from archaeology records or uh, oceanography records evidence for the flood. Now there are, if it's if it's an ocean, guess what? There are going to be many records for the flood, tsunamis, and so on. And you know you can find it. But just because you find a certain flood, you cannot jump and say, ah, that's Dwarka, and therefore let's go 36 years backward, and that's Mahabharat war. The claim needs to be established, okay? And then it becomes a solid corroborative evidence. So. Is there evidence for this 5525 BC? So again, we put the inference there, 5525 BC. The question is, is there evidence? And until we know the type of evidence, we don't know how to test it, okay? Or what kind of background knowledge? There is a lots of evidence around the world, okay? In fact, last time I gave a talk, I said I have more than 50 references, 50 plus different papers. In fact, that number is growing up. It's now more in less than one year. It's more than 100. Okay, but what I'm going to show you is three distinct events. Okay, something very obvious, very clear, the dateline, all around the world. So one near Caribbean here, okay, that's in Barbados. Another one from the uh, Istanbul, like Turkey, and then of course there has to be something from Dwarka, right? Otherwise, you say what's the point of you know showing something from far away in the world? Okay, let's look at the Barbados. You know, so that's here. And actually, uh, this person, uh, he's alumnus, you know, with me. I went to University of Alberta for my master's chemical engineering. In fact, same time he was doing his PhD in geology. Uh, and uh, so he started at Barbados, but then he looked at six additional locations in Gulf of Mexico and a very consistent evidence. Now, let me, uh, this is again frequently asked questions. What people think is that after the ice age, uh, the uh, ocean levels are increasing, right, and increasing all the time, smoothly. Those of you who know that, that was happening, you can see that. If I draw this, it is a smooth increase, if I can draw a line. That is true, but that smooth increase is interrupted by something known as CRE, catastrophic rise event. And in this case, they found evidence for three of those events. They call it CRE 1, 2, 3. The only one I'm going to talk about is what's relevant to the 5525 BC. So the evidence from the Caribbean and consistent evidence, six different location, is that there was a sudden sea level rise, 6.5 meters. Imagine that 6.5 meters plus minus 2.5 meters. Okay, in when 56 sorry 5600 BC plus minus 100 years. So what you have to check is does 5525 fall within that range? Okay, that's location in Caribbean. Let's come to the, the the border of Asia and Europe. Okay, that's Istanbul. Uh, how many of you have flown over Istanbul? Again, you very good. So if you remember seeing the Bosphorus Channel, you know before you land, you know, and depending on which you are coming, and you know, just take a turn and come down. Uh, I have I made a point to go there and actually go to the Black Sea and see you know particular sections. Uh, but they actually show the film, you know, they can show underground channels and how they look. Anyways, the quick point is, this Black Sea was a sweet water sea. In fact, it was a sweet water lake. There is sufficient evidence. And when the sea levels rose, the, what you see here is the Sea of Marmara and then if you go down here, Aegean Sea and then it goes into Mediterranean here, okay. 
So this water came up and then at some point it started flooding the Black Sea. And the timing for Black Sea becoming a salty water sea, the Brackish Sea, it didn't happen over a long period of time. It happened essentially instantaneously. Do you want to guess the timing? Okay, this is a work of a, a Columbia geologist, two of them, Ryan and Pittman, 1998. And the timeline that they came up is 5550 BCE. You want to know the error? Very impressive error, plus minus 30 to 40 years. That's very impressive, 5550 plus minus 30, 40, right on that border. Okay. And let's come to the west coast. Uh, this is the area of Arabian Sea. What you see here is, you know, so this is here Iran. This one is all the UAE and all that. And this area is the Iraq. Okay. So there are many, many studies, actually more than 40 specific studies. 40 specific studies. Uh, all are showing that there was a significant sea level rise in here. Look at the timing. These are uh, before present, okay. So if you go here, this is let's say think of this seven, eight, nine. So this is what five, six, and seven. So between like five thousand to seven thousand BC, significant sea level rise. And if you want to see how significant, look at a very specific chart. I'm going to show you. This is again for the Arabian Sea. Uh, this is a combined study of seven different studies combined into one graph. And I'm going to draw the lines to hopefully you can see the, the first two lines from the left. That is the sixth millennium BCE. And you know how much was the sudden sea level rise? 15 meters, one five. Sudden sea level rise. And then you go to the fifth millennium BCE, another eight meters. In fact, what you see is the sea level rise actually went further than where it is today. And you see the evidence on the west coast, by the way. Okay, in fact, it went up like a three meters. Okay, and lot of area was flooded. And after some time, uh, in fact, let's see. So like after 1500 years or 2000 years, then the water started receding. So when you think of Dolvira and all those as ports, okay, and it matches with the Harappa times and whatnot, actually the explanation is right here. The water levels were actually gone up, okay, three meters. They stayed there for a long time and then started coming up. And those of you know process control, you know the PI, PID type of controls, you know, does the oscillations and comes to a standstill. So that's exactly what it did. Okay, and what we have the levels. So that's oceanography evidence, sixth millennium BCE. Okay, we are almost done, but not completely. Look at the seismology evidence, earthquake type of evidence. Again, for the near Dwarka, sixth millennium BCE. This is a graph that shows recent earthquakes. By recent, I mean for last 2000 years. Okay, I will not read the dates. And how many of you have heard Mula Dwarka, a place called Mula Dwarka, not the Bed Dwarka, not where the current Krishna Mandir is? Many of you know. Who, who doesn't know? Who has not heard until now the Mula Dwarka? Okay, very good. Google is our friend. If you go to Google, start typing Mula Dwarka, before even you finish, it's going to say Gujarat, India. And then you go there. Just south of Somnath, there is a place called Muladwarka. I'm showing the ocean, it's not in the ocean, it's right on the uh, seashore, just south of Somnath. And what I am conjecturing is that that is the proxy for the original Dwarka, which is of course under the ocean. Those of you who might have read Graham Hancock or watched his uh, film documentary, 
he describes a island, I mean shows the island based on Glen Milne, I am working with Glen Milne now, okay. describes the uh, geology, you know sea level rise and that island disappears during the 6th millennium BCE. Okay. And so he has made the same claim. Uh, so that location of Mool Dwarka, our uh, Bet Dwarka is here, the current Dwarka what we consider. Okay. Now let us look at, so this is 2000 years, but let us go back. The first evidence for earthquake, a serious earthquake, we get around 800 BC. Now that could be a potential one for, you know, like destruction of Dwarka. Now there are folks who, who claim a Mahabharata war happening around 800, 900 BC by the way, okay. Like we have, we have those. So just for that reason, I am also going to show you what was happening on the oceanography side. Okay, when the earthquake happened. So here, so that first star there 800 BC that is represented here, this big star. So what do you see? Actually the water is going down, you know, at least just from the oceanography level. There is another record around 2000 BC. If you look at where that is happening, the water is also going down. Okay, I am not making any strong uh, conjectures from this, but I leave it for you to guess. Okay, the seismology is there, but then the water is going down. And bingo. There is one more earthquake record, 5540 BC plus minus 130 BCE. And where was that? Of course, you know where it is. Okay, that's when like a huge surge in the water level. This is work of Rajendran, you know, from Trivendram. Now he's at Indian Institute of Science, Bangalore. Okay, the seismology research. All right, so I'm just summarizing these, these different studies that I showed you, and that leads us to flooding and destruction of Dwarka. Quickly genetic evidence, I am not going to connect that with the Mahabharata and Ramayana. And if it comes into the question answer, actually I do have a conspiracy theory kind of genetic evidence, but and I, I, I would love to share it by the way, okay, if we get, get into question and answer. But you know that will lead to more speculation, so we will see how that goes. So I am not going to share it here. But quickly in the context of Aryan invasion and all that, if you look at the gene flow on the mother side, so to say, matrilineal gene flow. We hear lots of this thing coming in. Guys, the picture, these are not pictures drawn by any Indians or say these are these pictures are on the Google, okay, or Wikipedia, for example. Okay, the matrilineal gene flow, they based the research, genetic research based on X chromosome. What you see is an initial inflow from Africa. Now we are going to stick with this theory, but I want to mention that there is sufficient evidence emerging from all over the world that possibly that Africa is not the only source for, for human origin. Okay? There could be multiple origins, but for now we are going to stick with this okay? because I do not have a graph available <laughs> and not enough data. So once it came in, now we are talking 60,000, 80,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago, after that it is going out in all directions multiple times. If you look at the patrilineal gene flow, so called the gene flow from the father side, okay, this is based on Y chromosome. Not very easy to see, so I will draw it. So here you see this African gene, uh, patrilineal gene coming here. But then you try to follow any graph, you know, this pink, these blue, okay, and this light blue, they are all going out from India in all directions, okay going back 70,000, 80,000. So if I can quickly plot them against this so-called Aryan invasion nonsense here, okay. What you see this antiquity going back 100,000 or so, okay. So the initial African migration, let us say, okay, coming into India 80,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago. But after that it is all out. 
and people will tell you there is no evidence for outward migration. There is sufficient evidence for outward migration in genetics, okay, in genetics. Now, uh, all the way outward migration, you know, the last line is 1991 when I went to Canada, okay, that there. And then, of course, there are some inflows like Shaka, Huna, you know, around like uh, 2000 years ago or so, or Islamic invasion about 1000 years and so on. So, we can find those, of course, in history, but if you take the blood samples, gene samples, you will also find it, okay. You can find the variation where they came from. Now, in this so-called AIT zone, I did not show anything. In fact, nothing exists there right now, but that is when, you know, this whole uh, newspaper, the Hindu, the Hindu that is a non-Hindu nonsense starts. Anytime a, anytime a new paper on genetics come out, okay. And I have given a one time a rebuttal to Tony Joseph and you can read that on myend.net. Uh, but you know, you get tired of it and he, you know, I mean, he gets paid for writing that stuff, you know. I do not get paid for <laughs> giving the rebuttal, okay. But what happens is this, as the advances in genetics takes place, the resolution, you know, the resolution of that gene code haplogroup is going to go up. So at some point, you may even actually see uh, the gene flow that is coming from outside to inside, you know, I mean, guys, I mean, I'm, I'm revisiting, right? I'm coming back to India and visiting. Many people are, NRIs are migrating. So, you know, not a surprise in the past that happened. And you will also see, sorry, you will also see many folks uh, coming, going from India to outside once the resolution goes up. But that's not a reason to suddenly jump and start shouting AIT and so on, you know. Now, if you're not convinced about this, I quickly gave you a highlight there. You know, this little mouse, little domestic mouse, look at this, this is based on genetics. Where does it begin and where does it go, okay? So and who said India does not export stuff, okay? This is like the little mouse, some few varieties, but starting from India and going in all directions and do not miss those arrows here, you know, going to America and going to Polynesia, even the Polynesian samples of the mouse, okay, going all over. Now, you know what, just look at mouse and we might kind of smile and let it go. But what is the implication? Where does domestic mouse comes into the picture? With a settled civilization, with an agriculture-based civilization and a migration of that agriculture, you know, it is not just going to happen suddenly or navigation, commerce, okay. So when that happens, that is how that little mouse has gone all over. And based on the genetic estimates, now remember genetics, we talked about it, genetics is a statistical science. I mean, yes, there are actual data points, but there is a lot that can go wrong. People can re quickly reach wrong conclusions. So we have to be careful, but here the data is overwhelmingly supporting this picture. And I am just going to give you the estimate. The timing for this domestic mouse migration is estimated to be 25,000 years ago, 30, 35, 40,000 years ago. There are even some estimates up to 300,000 years ago and you know what happened. That could be true, I do not know, but people say, ah, I am going to get in trouble if I publish that and people stop. So let us forget 300K for now, but 25, 35K and what is it? That means there was, I mean, this is the evidence for a potential agriculture in India in that times, not only that, but the agriculture migrating, the technology transfer happening from India. Just this little mouse can show you that if you know how to read it. All right, now people, uh, people, you know, but people are not convinced. I know you are convinced, but people are not convinced. Now they say, all right, so Mahabharata in 6th millennium, Ramayana in 12th millennium, Rugveda before that, but how come there is nothing happening in between? 
Okay, so I'm going to show you what's happening in between and we'll stop. I'm going to pull the data from the little small little book called Surya Siddhanta. Okay, and the work I'm going to present most of it is by a former ISRO scientist named Anil Narayanan, a wonderful person. Again, I communicate with him all the time. He's based in Washington DC. What he showed the based on Surya Siddhanta is a very uh, cryptic book, you know. It is not meant to be an introduction, it is meant to be a pocket book for someone who already understands everything about astronomy. So, you know, it is not very readable book. What he showed is that we can detect in the language of Surya Siddhanta a specific timings where updates to Surya Siddhanta were made. And when do we make updates? When the calendar goes out of whack, you know, some because of many reasons. And I won't go into the reason. In fact, Anil Narayan did not want to go into the reasons, but I spent time and I have a reason for each of those change. That is not the subject today. He, he came up with at least four updates, but I will tell you why there are five updates. So, first one is very obvious 570 CE, okay. that is that's obvious based on the updates to the uh, longitudes, latitudes for the nakshatras. Then there is another update around 3100 BCE. Okay, it can be detected that something was made. Now remember when you update, you do not necessarily update everything, you update what needs to be updated. Like if you are uh, upgrading your house, you may just do the kitchen because that needs the upgrade, you know something like that. Uh, there is another evidence for 5300 BC, something was updated in Surya Siddhanta. Now when I say something, I know exactly what it is, I am just leaving it at that level. Okay? Uh, and these four papers, you can read them. And there was another update around 7500 BCE. And when we thought that was the end of it, uh, myself and another researcher based in Gandhidam Rupa Bhati, we discovered another update in Surya Siddhanta. And that goes to 12,000 BCE. So, Surya Siddhanta, that simple small book, you know, that many Western Indologists simply claim is maybe 15 year old. It captures the data that goes back to at least 14,000 years because we do not know what else is hiding in it. Okay? So, if I plot those now, now do you think it is filled now? At least someone was there updating it, you know, if the other things does not exist. But you know, you can go back to as much as you want guys, I mean there is no limit to it. For example, uh, Shatapad Brahman and we have uh, Shatapad Brahman expert here, you know, Aparna, her work was on Shatapad Brahman or Yajurved Brahman. Um, and uh, so, Pracho Disha Na Chavante, you know, Pratikas do not deviate from the east, you know, and Shankar Bhagavad Dikshit's interpretation based on that he estimated 3000 BCE. But I want to add something. Um, I mean, you know, this was also at the time when we have this notion, and still the notion exists that the Rugveda, the Samhitas first, and then Brahmanas, and then Aranyakas, Upanishad, and so on and so forth. Okay, we don't have to necessarily go that go that way. Also. This Prachodisha Nachavante, the Krutikas rising due east, is a repeatable phenomenon. So, just like it happened in 3000 BC, I just want to give you food for thought. Actually, it also happened in around 14,000 BC, 14,900 or so. And it does have additional evidence, I won't go there, but it comes into the Mahabharata evidence. And uh, take the story of Trishanku, for example. Okay? So, Trishanku has to be before Ram, okay? many royal generations before Ram. And at the time of Trishanku, the story appears in Mahabharata, story appears in Ramayana and story appears in many other Puranas. You might remember the, uh, Rush, the sage Vishwamitra became angry and he created at least sometimes the description is like that and he created a Pratisrishti 
with Shravan as the main nakshatra, Shravan as the first nakshatra. You can explain that for 13,000 BC, like 1000 years before Ramayana. Okay? Um, and the fall of Abhijit, number of you might know this, if not, uh, that is from Mahabharat. It does not refer to Mahabharat times. It is an ancient phenomenon that Markande Rishi is describing to Yudhishthir. And again, you can explain that whole eight verses for the 14, 15 millennium BC. My point being, it can, if you start digging into our ancient literature, start objectively testing it, it can quickly fill the timeline. So do not feel like suddenly there is nothing between Mahabharat and Ramayana. Okay, quickly removing the weeds and I am almost done. Once you have the right methodology, imagine a cave, you know, which has not seen the uh, ray of sunlight for a long time and then you happen to discover it, you go inside and then you lit a candle or start a torch light, you know, attached to the head. How long does it take to light the cave and remove the darkness? It is instantaneous. And in fact, it is not a two-step process. All you have to do is light the candle. The darkness just goes away, you know, all right. So similarly, when we look at uh, the method that I described, the five-step framework, when you use that right framework, then we do not establishing truthful claims and uh, eliminating false claims is not a two-step process as much as lighting a candle and removing the darkness. It is actually a one-step process, okay. And I am going to show you an example of this. Again, therefore, I brought this up here. But how to resolve between conflicting claims? Now that is at the heart of many individuals, Neera Mishraji is here, um, many others. In fact, um, at Chennai, I ran into uh, Professor Tilak, Tilak, uh, what is this, Srinivas, thank you, Srinivas Tilak. He, he wanted to do this, he wanted to take a lead and bring various Mahabharata researchers working on astronomy, but even otherwise bring together. And how to resolve those conflicts? Again, if we use this scientific framework, it can be done. It shows five points. There are many points about the science, okay. For example, uh, just out of those five, I can take evidence, I plot on one axis, I can take testability, plot on the other axis. It gives me four quadrants, okay. I have given them name, this is preservation of tradition, not a bad thing, like Bandarkar Oriental Critical Edition. What they did is they looked, they collected all these uh, manuscripts, okay created one edition, what they thought was most appropriate, but anything that did not match, they did not throw it away. They just wrote it down at the bottom, okay, for others to study. That is a great effort, you know. No testing, they are not interested in testing, but they are interested in preserving, okay. Uh, if you look at this, I call it dharmic assertions, you can give a different name, fearless assertion, fearless and humble assertions, whatever you want to call it. Uh, fearless because they are daring, they can make a claim. Humble because they are willing to be wrong if you are there. Uh, but what they are doing here is they are looking at all the evidence, not leaving anything outside, even that evidence that supports, but that evidence that contradicts and uh, they are all testable. Tamasic skepticism, what is the problem here? First thing they are looking at arbitrary, you know, so suppose I show with the 215 observation 5561 BCE as a year of Mahabharata war, they say what about Draupadi Vastraharan? Where did the saris come from? Okay. Now, nothing wrong with that question, but it is not relevant to the theory. What is the theory? All astronomy observations are actual, factual, visual observations of the sky. There is no scope for a sari there, guys. Okay. Uh, so, it is perfectly okay. And in fact, in the last lecture I mentioned, if you take a problem like that, actually I have, I do not want to discuss it here again, the Draupadi Vastraharan. You can talk about it. For against that Vastraharan, the actual, the, the magical Vastraharan, there are 
30 plus references that go against it including Krishna's own uh, statement and many more. And, and just like uh, I shared in another place Rama's age you know whether Rama was 17 year old or 25 year old it is in my book some of you who read that right I mean what do you think like very logically we can figure out with luck. Um, and the last one superficial and manipulative claims in some sense you may think it is uh, unfortunate but it is not unfortunate I will tell you why. So if you take all the 130 claims and split them into these four quadrants they kind of fall like this. 95 percent uh, claims fall into the superficial and manipulative claims. Now when I say that people think it is personal, it is nothing personal. My definition is very simple. It is superficial because they are only looking at selective or arbitrary evidence. Let us say you plot all the data points y and x axis. You close your eyes and draw multiple lines. does not matter where you draw the lines. Okay? By chance there is a very high probability the line will go through few data points and you say bingo that is my correlation. What about the other data points? Maybe it is not a line. Maybe it is a cat that you have to draw with all the dots, you know, that is what it is. The manipulative part because the little evidence arbitrary or selective that they test, they do test it in objective fashion, okay. Sometimes the inferences are wrong, but they do test it. So people think it is all scientific. Everyone, anyone can use the word scientific, okay. Now why this is not necessarily a bad thing? I mean Nassim Nikolab Taleb talks about it. He says if your work is original or revolutionary, you know, it is not defined by nobody else made a claim of that kind, but in fact multiple claim exist and they are contradictory, okay. That is a revolutionary work. Now quickly and uh, Niraji I want to show you uh, and others too of course, what happens, what can be done or what type of pre-work that needs to happen for many Mahabharata researchers to come together and hash this out. This is based on a scientific criteria. So what we can do is before actually discussing anything here, we may make a list. In fact, I have made a list. Uh, so the criterion is year proposed. Of course, we just want to know, want to know, want to know this for information. So it's not like good or bad or anything desired. Just tell us what year you think 5561 BC. The question you can ask is: Are you making a, any a priori assumptions? And ideal is that you don't make any a priori assumptions. One of the very common a priori assumption is what? 3102 BC is the timing of Kaliuga, Kaliuga is also the timing of Mahabharata, okay. Yes, that is true, but Mahabharata text says nothing, nada about those two statements. Let us not make a a priori assumption. We can bring in afterwards, but if we are deciding Mahabharata, Mahabharata has to be the primary evidence. If we are deciding the timing of Ramayana, Ramayana has to be the primary evidence. Now again, so then sticking to one discipline of science, what I mean is at any given point you should stick to one discipline of science. Once you establish then you can go multidisciplinary and see what happens. What about a clear statement of a theory? I told you my statement. What you will find is you, uh, you please I mean number of you know many other researchers and this is not about me versus them or anything like this. Try to ask them what is your theory? Can you describe what is your theory? And please let please share those answers with me. You will be amazed what answers you get or the answers that you do not get. Um, then all evidence listed, many people talk about 150 observation, 120, but they do not list those observations. Okay, I have, I claim 215 plus, they are in the back of my book. I also send those as files, whoever asked for it and they are detailed exactly where they occur in the paper. Uh, theory leads to objective testing, yes, no. Uh, auxiliary hypothesis, again that is not uh, good or bad, but you have to explain it. And then the consistency of a theory. And you know, people may answer whatever they like. For example, 
Now, if I have to answer the this question, how do you think I am going to answer for my theory? Like this, perfect match, right? Okay, but you know, Karl Popper said, if you are not critical of your own theory, then someone else will. Okay, so better be yourself. Actually, look through that. Okay, but you know, this is there for everyone to question it. No, that's that's the whole idea. And I'm going to quickly give you a summary as as analyzed by me. Okay, for uh, some one, two, three, four, five, six, six additional researchers. And the way I selected this, and by the way, I mean, you're taking pictures that great, but if you want a PowerPoint, I'm very happy. I don't know what other people think, you know. In fact, you can take my PowerPoint, go to the front page, change it to your name and start talking about it. <laughs> okay, I'm very happy. So this is my analysis. And you know, now again, back to this, if, I, if I'm doing this analysis, if it is being recorded and this, if somebody does to me the other way, I will get in action, I tell you that. I will talk to those people, I say, okay, here is why I think it's wrong and so on and so forth. So that is my hope, that is my desire, that, and therefore I selected only those individuals who are around, okay. With the exception of uh, Mohan Gupta ji, I mean, I know them, but I couldn't find his email for a long time. Now, yeah, and Ashok Bhatnagarji, again you have it. Uh, I have communicated personally with each one of those other researchers and 50 others, you know. But uh, like Ananda Sharan, for example, you know, so, so I have not listed Ananda Sharan for different reasons. But look at the a priori assumptions, okay, the based on very specific thing. Again, I'm just showing it to you. Now, this is before even the evidence is analyzed. Now, if you do uh, a similar analysis after the evidence is analyzed, Okay, is the theory been falsified? Is there a non-testable observations? Is there a theory, claim, evidence, blah, blah, blah. You can read the list. And here are my answers, you know. Sorry, here is the desired criteria and here is my answer. Okay, so you see that one yes in the red. Yeah, which is the desired thing for non-testable observation is no, but for my claim it is yes. When I wrote that and I published it, uh, somebody said, Nilesh, you are too modest, you know, that's not true, it's not yes, it should be no. I said, no, no, there is out of 215, one small observation. He said, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. Then I told him that I said, it's a bet. You go fishing, you put a small bet. You know, I'm hoping that one of the researchers comes and says, oh, I got you there, you know, and then hopefully we can open the discussion, you know, so it's a bet, remember that, but, you know. All right, and so if I analyze this, uh, the after the analysis, this is my analysis, my my analysis of the other researchers. I mean, it's open for criticism, it's open for questioning. But uh, Niraj, again, my point is something like this: the pre-work needs to happen before folks come together to discuss this. Quickly, last one. Uh, in case of Ramayan, I'm taking just two uh, two claims. The reason is the other claim that is most popular is of late Pushkar Bhatnagarji, the 5114 BC, number of you may know this. Just quick interesting fun, there I have selected five specific Ramayan events, okay, they are in the first column there. And then the Valmiki Ramayan descriptions, again this is all open to criticism, okay. So Valmiki Ramayan description for Ramajanma is a Sharad season, many people don't even know that. 
Rama leaves for Vanvas again Sharad season. Rama Hara Yuddha is a Shishir season. Wali Vada, many many of you would know that it's the beginning of rainy season, right? Because then Rama says, I'm going to wait outside Kishkinda for four months. So many people know that. Uh, and the last one, Hanuman in Lanka, again, sort of a disputable, many people don't know that. It's a Vasanta season. This is the Valmiki Ramayana descriptions. Now, let us look at the uh, Pushkar Bhatnagarji's assumptions for those things. This is from his book, okay, published in what, 2000 or somewhere there. Um, he's no more, unfortunately, you know. But what has happened is many, there are many, many individuals who are running away with this claim. For example, Saroj Balaji is one. Then DK Hari, I don't know if he made it to your conference from Chennai. He also sticks with 5114 BC and th there are many others. Okay, and if you saw on the Twitter, you know, like all kinds of things going on before, you know, I'm not following Twitter these days since I was traveling. Uh, now, this is Bhatnagarji's assumptions for a season. Against that, quickly, I mean, you can go into highlight and again, actual Bhatnagarji's proposal. What I want to quickly show you is this. Bhatnagarji is assuming something that is not what said in Valmiki Ramayana. Okay, that's step one. But then you actually go to Bhatnagarji's date and what you find. So, Valmiki Ramayana says Sharad season. Bhatnagarji thinks it's Vasanta season, but the actual date that he shows is the peak of Shishir season. Are you with me? This Sharad season, what is Valmiki Ramayana says? It is says again peak of winter. Valmiki Ramayana for Khara, Rama Karayuddha thinks it's a Shishir season. Bhatnagarji agrees with Valmiki Ramayana descriptions, but when he shows the date, it is the end of Sharad season. Are you following what, what is happening? Again, beginning of rainy season, Bhatnagarji agrees with it. But the date he shows, it is a peak of Vasanta season. There is a gr whole Grishma Rutu in between and then the rainy season. If you look at the last one, Vasanta season, uh, Bhatnagarji thinks it's the end of Sharad, beginning of Heman season based on his book. Okay? And then actual date he shows, it is the peak of Sharad season. Okay? Against that, you can look at my claims and um, don't take my word for it just because I write in the bracket. You can go and check it very easily. Uh, so, Sharad season, Sharad season, Sharad, Sharad, Shishir, Shishir. Uh, this is what? Beginning of rainy season, beginning of rainy season. And look here. So, if it doesn't match, I'll write as is. It says Vasanta season. And what I could find for my date, okay, is late Vasanta, early Grishma. So, if you have any problem with it, I'll accept it. You know, there is some variation, but close to it. All right. Time for questions and objections. All right.